And yes, welcome to our annual July 4th show. Today on July 3rd, it is Monday. I am here live. Just for a couple minutes here, we're going to replay our seminal July 4th show from last year. Still as relevant today as it was a year ago. Celebrating not just our independence, but the document that makes us free and independent. Even if they enslave us, we are still free in God's eyes. You know, the date was July 4th, 1851, 75 years after the founding, at the groundbreaking of the U.S. Capitol when they were building it. Daniel Webster, famous senator and lawyer, he said the following, Every man's heart swells within him. Every man's port and bearing becomes somewhat more proud and lofty as he remembers that 75 years have rolled away and that the great inheritance of liberty is still his, his undiminished and unimpaired, his in all its original glory, his to enjoy, his to protect, and his to transmit to future generations. And I think about that, how 75 years after the Declaration, Webster was able to confidently assert that the spirit, the principles behind that document were fully actualized, fully being implemented the same way, with the same gusto they wore 75 years prior. Well, obviously, here we are on on the 247th anniversary, and we are no longer the land of the free. And the question is, if we're going to be the home of the brave, if we actually have the guts to fight back. Obviously, today I'm not going to get into the news. We're going to get back into that on Wednesday. We'll be off July 4th itself. But just one one news item. We have our own federal border patrol cutting through barbed wire created by Texas military authorities Texas National Guard, DPS, and creating a pathway for illegals to invade our country that the state tried to erect so they don't come in, undermining the very essence of governance by the consent of the governed uh, sovereignty asserted in that introduction to the Declaration of Independence. That's how far we have fallen. So the thing is, our documents are amazing. They still are. And as we're going to talk about on the special show, the Declaration really is the perfect document a human could write because it's written asserting godly rights. But it's irrelevant now because our documents are abrogated every day without opposition. Our challenge today is will we muster the courage to act? We have the principles, and we're going to explain them. But do we have the courage to act? And with that, I wish you a happy July 4th today in 2023. But we're going to go back in time one more year. And fundamentally, we are at a tipping point. We have three years left until the 250th anniversary. By then, we will know if we actually rose to the challenge. I promise you, we will know within three years whether we are to the point of no return, or we are actually returning to something maybe not quite as great 
is what we founded, but at least built upon those ideals and principles. Happy 4th, and take a listen. Politics without the soap opera, with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our liberty. Welcome to the month of liberty. This is Liberty Month. This is Biblical Pride Month. And the two tie together because our liberty is rooted, yes, in biblical values, biblical truths, and self-evident truths. This is our annual July 4th episode, and boy, do we need it now more than ever, because what we are confronted with, as you well know, is much greater than anything our founders ever dreamt of, much less actually feared in King George. When Sam Adams stood before that great legislative body, Philadelphia, This was three weeks after he signed the declaration. And he said that our contest is going to determine whether we will remain the last asylum for mankind for civil and religious liberty. Well, today, we now know we have no asylum left for human bodily autonomy for anything. Every single firewall of the Constitution has been breached. And it's really been breached for a while. It's just now we are suffering the consequences. Those breaches were happening for many years. We ignored them. We had a fake movement against it. We had a bunch of distracted, phony, conservative elected officials and commentators that put their petty careers and stupid ideas and desire for a little bit more money and fame over the need to do what's right. As we learn from our founders, it doesn't take much. You only need a minority to succeed in fighting for liberty, but you need a certain threshold, and we're not there yet. The movement is still too small, and it's too overshadowed by frauds. But because of what they did throughout the years... We didn't follow the admonition of John Adams to nip the shoots of arbitrary power in the bud. No. We allowed those arbitrary forces to creep up and take away more power, more power, until before we knew it, as they were setting those charges, laying the bombs for years, eventually the last couple of years, they were able to detonate them one after another in a controlled demolition and destroy everything we need to live, literally, to live freely, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, up until and including on our bodies, on our breathing holes, in, inside our bodies. And yet, for most people who operate in this sphere, who claim to be leader, thought leaders, and have followings, it's as if this never happened. It's as if this is not going on at all. It's all just a soap opera, palace intrigue, politics like any other day. How many Republican seats are we going to pick up in November? And nothing inspires them to change. And a big part of that is selfishness. I can't blame them. 
I'm the one out with barely any advertisers. I actually have none for today, if you've noticed. Dwindling recently. And deplatformed. I don't know. I, you know, I just earn enough money, just enough to support my family, nothing more. A lot of people earn a good living in this. So that's why you can't count on those that you thought you could count on. We must be those leaders. But first, we must understand what we are celebrating with Independence Day. And there's nothing really unique about July 4th other than that was the date that they signed the document. But it really is the document we are celebrating, not so much an Independence Day. Most modern countries have some sort of Independence Day. But it is the values on which that independence was founded that are immutable, they're everlasting, they speak to all generations, all times, and all locations. It's not a matter of a particular country. If we lose control over one which we have, perhaps you can go elsewhere, or elsewhere within these 50 states, to abide by, enforce, protect, and live by those values. Independence Day is really more special than Constitution Day. In the past, I've said we should celebrate Constitution Day in September instead of Labor Day. That would be September 17th. But in many respects, our Constitution is over with. It's meaningless. Now, if we ever got what we wanted, self-separated, we would start off abiding by it until we're able to convene a convention of the states and you know, tweak and update really what needs to be done. But until then, it's a meaningless document. Okay, and it's time we slay that sacred cow. The only thing the Constitution is being used for is to prevent us from fighting back against their violations. Okay? Again, not to say that we're just going to go rogue and do what we want, but in terms of fighting back against their breaches, we have to remember we could shout Constitution all we want. The Constitution is meaningless unless you abide by and enforce the desiderandum of the Declaration of Independence. The Constitution was not a perfect document. The Declaration was a perfect document. Why? The Declaration is sacred. Not sacred like the Bible, but it was built upon the most foundational biblical principles. Self-evident truths of God-given rights. Constitution is a technical charter. It's like a contract. A lot of technical stuff in it. A lot of it was a close call, could have gone the other way. Founders were divided. And they understood it doesn't necessarily, not all of it speaks to all eras. And it could be updated. Obviously, you have to have the proper process. But it was updated for 100 years without the proper process. And here we are today trying to cling to a dead document. The declaration is what matters more. Because a constitution, again, constitutions don't guarantee you rights. They guide, they direct, they could inspire, but they don't implement them. At the end of the day, it's people with morals and ethos and godly values that understand the principles of the Declaration 
that will stand and fight it, that they, that they understand that you can't have these Amelia Bedelia absurd hyper-literalist outcomes where you focus on one aspect to a, to, to a fault and then you come out time and again with outcomes and results that are antithetical to the Declaration of Independence. But somehow you're following the Constitution. No, it doesn't work that way. So again, the Declaration was a perfect document because it was built upon biblical values. Okay? Psalms 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Obviously, this document was signed on July 4th. The declar- the the resolution, the Henry Lee resolution to break off of England was adopted July 2nd, but we celebrate the 4th, right? Independence Day is technically July 2nd, but the big deal is the 4th. That was the document in just 201 words of the preamble of the founding charter. From what I can see, and you could divide it different ways, people kind of teach it differently, But in my view, you could glean from just those 201 words, the product of Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Roger Sherman, and Robert Livingston, six inviolate principles, inviolable principles, of the morality of a just governing system. And we'll see how, explain them in in terms of their relevance to the times we live in, and what we're left with to do, and why the Constitution, without the fortitude to abide by the principles of the Declaration, is meaningless, and indeed we can all agree, unfortunately, became meaningless, and to start to give us somewhat of a guiding light as to where we head from here, what we need to do with it, how to make the Declaration of Independence great again. So the first principle, that individuals are born with natural rights that come from God, not from historical precedent, not from English common law at the time, not from the democratic whims of the majority in a given society, and certainly not the oligarchy or a monarchy. And that in itself was a novel idea at the time. As Jefferson wrote, In 1774, his summary view of the rights of the British America, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. The hand of force may destroy, but cannot disjoin them. In other words, yeah, I mean, people could, by brute force, enslave you, empower you, tie you down, put a mask on you, inject you, say you're going to lose your livelihood if you don't destroy your God-given immune system. But it doesn't change the fact that God gave you those rights, and you have them. Whether at that moment you can't exercise them. I mean, nowadays you have pure atheism has grown out into it's become in vogue. But at the time, everyone seemed to believe that God gave people life. But the notion was that, you know, you could have rulers decide what you want to do with those people. Nope. The understanding was... 
by virtue of your right to live, you have the right to liberty. Meaning as long as you're not directly harming people, you could walk around and do what you want to move, breathe, live, earn a living, have property, and not be molested by government, by an individual, and that those rights are beyond mob rule or tyrannical political majority. Okay? So that's principle number one, that there's a certain number of rights that are beyond reproach. You can't legislate them. There's no exceptions to them because they predated any society, any governance of man, God-given rights, right? If God created you, he has a mission for you by definition, and you cannot allow other human beings to get in the way of that mission in its most core sense. Second principle, chief among those natural rights given by God, again, God is the source of those rights, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To earn a living, to own property, implicit in that right is is the natural right to self-defense, obviously. As Sam Adams um, said, among the natural rights of the colonists are these, first, the right to life, secondly, to liberty, thirdly, to property, together with the right to defend them in the best manner they can. And this is going to become very important. It's not just Second Amendment, the right to own a gun, but to right to defend those prerogatives, okay? Remember, this is not just, you know, people think of the Second Amendment, they think of, you know, thuggish crime. That wasn't really what the right to self-defense was coming for. That's obvious, yeah, I mean, someone tries to beat you up, you know, you have the right to defend yourself. That certainly is a natural right, but that wasn't really what they were talking about. It wasn't what they were discussing. It is the right to defend those unalienable rights that came from God, that is a God-given right. Because if you don't have the right to defend them, then what is the purpose? Any charter is meaningless, and that's going to be our main point today. Now, when you drill down to some of those rights, what they mean, what do they mean? Now, I'm not going to go into depth today and exactly what natural rights are, including life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness, right to defend them. But I want to say two things about them. I want to single out one particular right and then talk generally to to the definition of of those rights. Madison said in his essay on um, property rights, he said that conscience is the most sacred form of all property, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. I don't have that in front of me. Conscience is the most sacred, right? Well, you see from the other writings of Madison that religious conscience is the highest level of that conscience. It's very important. In Madison's 1785 memorial and remonstrance, he wrote, he explained this idea that inherent, these inherent unalienable rights, such as liberty, religious liberty, 
They're based on your duties to God, like we just said. And those duties predated civil society. He wrote, religion must be left to the conviction and conscience of every man. This right is unalienable because the opinions of men cannot follow the dictates of other men. What is here a right towards men is a duty towards the creator. This duty is precedent or precedent to the claims of civil society. You know, just yesterday, the legal case came before the Supreme Court of the state of New York requiring directly that all healthcare workers get um, Pfizer's poison into their body and they're not taking religious exemptions. And now we know it's not just the fetal cell lines that are used in the materials, but also now we know that this messes up God's given immune system. So it's every bit of a religious violation as much as it is a medical violation. And once again, as we've seen throughout, only Thomas Gorsuch and Alito would have even agreed to hear the case. The others had no interest in hearing the case. Thomas wrote a fiery dissent on it, as he always does. And by the way, it's not a coincidence that if you look at Thomas's writings, more than any Supreme Court justice ever, he has championed natural law, natural rights, and, and the Declaration. He always talks about that. Um, he talked about it a little bit in Obergefell dissent, uh, more so than the Constitution even. So, so again, that right violating your your religious beliefs on and inside your body in order to earn a living in order to live a functional life i'm sorry folks i don't give a damn about dobbs go sue me for violating conservative orthodoxy i cannot get excited about dobbs in the one hand that the bad guys can't optionally kill their babies while our people must be forced to get an abortion, including pregnant women, by the way. And those same, some of the same justices are a part of that. And yet there is no movement to help us. And by the way, it's funny that there's now five or six states that have been enjoined by federal or state courts from banning abortion. Well, we just had Dobbs, right? How does that happen? Because again... The theme of today is it's not a matter of a statute, a Supreme Court precedent, and even a constitutional clause. It's your willingness to fight for them. One side is willing to fight. They'll take you to court afterwards. Okay, well, fine. You know, we can't, states have the right to regulate abortion, but to what extent? We're going to test those limits now. And we're going we're to go to some dirtbag lower court judge and do what we want. They do that every time. I warned you, they're going to do that. We can't play this game. Oh, oh my gosh, we, we won an election. Republicans won an election. Or we won a Supreme Court case. And then we go home. That's all the Fox News-driven phony conservatives want you to do. You have to fight for it every day. You have to organize locally and make it an anathema to do against what we say. That this is where we're going to stand. We're not going to tolerate views and people that violate these rights. This is going to happen. We're going to elect govern, go, governance locally, at least in areas where a majority of the people say they believe in what we believe in. 
and we're going to fight for it, and we're not going to accept anything less than that. And we're not going to care if a Supreme Court says, no, you don't have the rights are upside down, or if a lower court violates a Supreme Court that did the right decision. But anyway, that is, in principle, too, life, liberty, property. Religious conscience is the most sacred, and that's being violated now, and no one wants to fight for it. You talk to the average conservative, oh, COVID's over with. No, it's not. They're just getting started. The other thing I wanted to mention while we're on principle two is also really channeling Madison. Madison was against the Bill of Rights because we have the Declaration of Rights, Declaration of Independence, and, and the various state declarations of rights. People, people forget the um, Declaration is a beautiful document. It's very terse. But it was written in 1776, and at that time, you had other colonies, and then some of them a little bit before, some of them later, you know, between 1776 and 1787, had various state constitutions that channeled a, a Declaration of Rights somewhere a little bit more verbose. And we'll quote from some of that today. But they understood what was a right and what wasn't a right. That positive benefits were subject to more debate, legislation, whereas negatives, that the government wants to do a positive to my negative state of being, right? They didn't need to spell that out. And his concern was that if you spell it out in a charter, it will give the impression that the rights come from the charter. You see what I mean? Everyone thinks, oh, where, where are my rights? Let's look in the Constitution. No, the Constitution was a technical charter of what government should do, can do, and in what context, and what are the procedures, checks and balances, the different powers of the respective branches. It was more of a technical document. It was a necessary document. But they didn't want to put the rights in there because rights was for the Declaration of Independence. And rights were understood. They understood what natural law was. The minute you start spelling it out, meaning could government create a rule that says everyone has to go out of their home buck naked? You're not allowed to wear clothes. Well, show me where in the Constitution it says that. Well, the Constitution didn't discuss that at all. Okay, but then we had the declar the um, Bill of Rights. And you could sit and kind of, you know, finagle different things, different clauses of it. Bottom line is it doesn't say it. But it's self-evident. It's self-evident truths that a government from local, state to federal, but even local and state cannot do that to you. And yet 90% of conservative thumbsuckers and to this day, it's the supermajority on the Supreme Court, they believe in Jacobson. That a government could force injections upon you, take away your life, liberty, and property if you don't do that, your pursuit of, you have no pursuit of happiness if you don't do it, and they could literally, in order to go anywhere to live a functional life, anywhere, could force... This is even worse than saying you can't wear clothes. Here we're putting a positive on your negative that you must put a particular article on your breathing holes. So this is how we have this absurd outcome of where we have more gun rights than ever, but then you could carry a gun 
but you have to walk with bondage on your nose and mouth. Because I'm reading the charter like Amelia Bedelia. It says bear arms, but it doesn't say you have the right to breathe. Ha ha ha. No, doesn't work that way. But, but that was his premonition, and he was right. He was right. Ironically, it was the anti-federalists who were even more concerned about protecting rights that, and, and were very concerned about the Constitution that needed to be placated. George Mason, Patrick Henry, and Madison promised that he would introduce it as a member of the House in the first Congress, and he, and he kept his promise. But originally, he was opposed to it because of that very reason. And I think he was right. You don't want to start putting rights in a Constitution. Constitution is a governing document. This document laid out what they felt didn't need to be laid out, but nonetheless needed to be laid out, self-evident truths. Okay, so we went a little bit long there, but I think that's, that's important to where we're headed. Number three. Okay, you have rights. That's great. What are you going to do about it? Number three, that individuals form a government as a social compact not to infringe upon those rights. No, no, no. Just the opposite, to protect those inalienable rights from threats in a way that could not be managed without some governing body. And this was the vexing question. Any form of government is an evil, but a necessary evil, but it is an evil. And they understood. And this was, you know, they never, and this is why a constitution can't be perfect. Because then once you have a governing body, you need a constitution. Constitution is never going to be perfect. It was a great document. It was the best one we ever had. Certainly needs to be updated for the times we, we live in. As we well see, it didn't you know, prevent them from destroying us. Declaration was a perfect document. But it's when you get to number three, which is hard, because God created us. His ways are perfect. His creation is perfect. With that, he gives us the right to, to liberty. Okay, but here's where... where um, you know, the, the heavens are, are, to, are to God and the land he gave to mankind, right? It says in Psalms. So now we have to govern. This is where things get, get hairy because you can't have no government. That's what they were saying. You have to have something because if you have nothing, then it's the strongest men will go and beat you up and, and, and control you. Because <laughs> great, you were created by God, but that's nice. But now your liberty is up to us. So you need some sort of civil society to create some sort of governing body to protect those rights. Whether they're thugs, whether they're Bill Gates's, whether they're you know robbers, you need to do justice, ensure tranquility, and that's that's the preamble of the of the Constitution. But that's dictated here. But you can't lose sight that the purpose is not to do whatever they think is nice to do, even if it infringes upon your rights. No, the, the main purpose is to find how your rights are being infringed upon and to use the government to combat that. And that's what we talk about nowadays, why states need to get stronger to interpose against the federal tyranny. Number four that on issues not affecting inalienable rights, there's a middle ground, so there's areas that you must protect. Then there's things that you mustn't do as a government. You can never, ever, ever, ever forcibly inject or put a mask on someone. 
But then there's just other things, you know, that are, they're not unalienable and they're not violating unalienable rights. They're somewhere in the middle that governments may exercise just powers, primarily for the safety and stability of the society. You know, garbage collection, things like that. You have to have common defense, a military, universal weights and measurements, currency, just so you could you know, engage in commerce, basic things like that. So that's, that's fair game, and that they can legislate and should legislate, but that is only pursuant to the consent of the governed. Some legitimate form of Republican representation, consent, that's what it means by consent of the governed, um, and inherent in this principle is that no outside forces not controlled by the members of that society itself may determine the destiny of that society. So, so in this principle, it's consent by the governed means some form of consistently elected representative bodies predominate in that control. That you cannot have executives and judiciaries making big societal decisions, and certainly international forces. And as I've talked about in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, it also is, is not just um, political, but, but geographical and jurisdictional sovereignty. If you have a society that initially lays claim to a land, and they have a governing society based upon that to do justice, to preserve those unalienable rights, well... You can't have other people force their way on that society, not pursuant to the rules of that society of how to admit other members. Hence, you can't have people invade your border, demand rights, demand access to the courts, get access to the courts, get access to your schools, your health care, drop an anchor baby, and have that kid forcibly a member of your society against your will, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Oh, and also, we get counted in the census, so we distort your representation. That violates principle number four. Principle number five. That all men were created equal in the access to and defense of those unalienable rights. Okay, not equality in societal outcomes, privileges, or other human pursuits, that runs counter to natural law because by definition, then you're playing God and you're you're saying, oh, we got to even the score. Okay, you need this amount of money. You need these programs and benefits and Medicaid and this and that. All that stuff is not just unconstitutional, but actually against natural law. That should be left to private charity. And frankly, the only reason why people are in dire straits is because of all this stuff that we violated. Healthcare is self-evident that it's become that way. Also implicit in the preamble is that all members of a given society are equal in the right to self-governance in their respective societies on their territories. And that no ruling class or individual has the right to invasively govern over someone else's life. Okay, so we're all equal in that sense. You can't have a growing class of people. So if, if you have after... 40 years of violating the Declaration of the Constitution, government-sponsored monopolies that can now destroy your life. No, that, that's not okay. That's not okay anymore. That you literally cannot live 
a functioning life without despotism of the whims of this Bill Gates ruling class. No, that's not okay. Those are the first five principles. As you well know, every one of them has been abrogated, contorted beyond recognition. Up is down, down is up, in is out, out is in. What is antithetical to a right is the highest right under the current utopia. What was the foundational God-given right is now um, criminalized. And that's where we are. Which leaves us with the main course of today's show. The sixth principle mentioned in the Declaration. For without it, the Declaration is just as toothless as the Constitution, which became toothless. And that is, when a long train of abuses and usurpations of the aforementioned principles continue without any other recourse, I'm just paraphrasing the Declaration here, the people have the right, indeed a duty, to rebel against that existing system. And that's the one that's taboo to talk about. But it was the most important thing. Here's what they understood. Okay, here's what they understood. There is no perfect document you could write. Let me, let me quote to you, give you a couple of things to think about. Thomas Paine wrote, It is a perversion of terms to say that a charter gives rights. For two reasons. Number one, it's not true. Your rights come from God. That's the point of the Declaration. The cons- you know, the Constitution is now, you know, the Bill of Rights is now synonymous with the Constitution, right? Oh, you have the right to free speech. You have the right to due process. You have the right to not, you know, not to be, you know, people say, why can't the government come, the FBI come, you know, you say, uh, I don't like what Joe Biden's doing. I don't, I don't like what's going on here. The election was stolen. I think you know, COVID fascism is horrible. The vaccines are killing people. Why can't the FBI kick in your door and just grab you and throw, throw you in jail? Why? Well, you say, oh, it's unconstitutional. It's true, but that's not why. It's because it violates your God-given rights. If you didn't have that charter, it would still violate it. But Thomas Paine's also saying another thing. They don't give you rights practically because it's just a parchment paper, as, as uh, Madison said. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's a parchment paper that it's meaningless if, if the people don't form strategies, societies, civics, in, in politics, policy, law, and culture to enforce it and safeguard it. It's nothing. We could wave the Constitution in front of them all we want, and they'll laugh at us, and now they openly say, screw it. And they've always said that. They just said it in more scholarly terms, but people like you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg and 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 Marshall and Brennan and all these guys over the years in the Supreme Court, they had a more, a more artful way of saying the Constitution sucks and we're just going to update it, and we just went and played by their game. John Dickinson and Federal Farmer, very interesting discussion. He he's discussing. You know, how do you define the contours? So there's, there's government powers, there's human rights. Where's that gray area? Where's the line where, you know, you start legislating, you feel you have a power and you have a duty and sometimes a prerogative to legislate a certain thing? Or nowadays where we don't believe in legislating to just declare through edict, the courts or the executive branch or the masters of the universe at Davos. 
Well, where are the rights? So there's always going to be a conflict. So he wrote the following. It is said that when the people make a constitution and delegate powers, that all powers not delegated by them to those who govern is reserved to the people. And that the people in the present case have reserved in themselves and in their state governments every right and power not expressly given by the federal constitution to those who shall administer the national government. Right, so, you know, he's saying, now that we adopted a constitution, that's what it is. Okay, you know, those things, the weights and measures and coinage and raising an army, all those things in Article 1, Section 8, enumerated powers, everything else, everything the government does on certainly healthcare, education, all this stuff, and certainly anything the CDC does is completely unconstitutional. Right? That's clear. But then he says... It is said, on the other hand, that the people, when they make a constitution, yield all power not expressly reserved to themselves. Okay, so this is always the conflict. Well, is it that we have certain rights and then, like, if it's not spelled out, the government could do it? Or the government has certain powers, if it's not spelled out, we reserve it. Well, you say, well, Daniel, of course it's the latter. Yeah, but here's the punchline. You could say that all you want. You could yell that all you want. As other, you know, most of what I'm saying, conservative, smart, surish, conservative legal minds, we'll talk about this all the time. But what the hell are you going to do about it? Here's the, the end of that quote from John Dickinson. The truth is, and, and, and John Dickinson, by the way, is one of the, you know, really the main crafter of the Articles of Confederation. Um, the truth is, in either case, it is mere matter of opinion. He's like, so what? Uh, like, you could debate it all you want. It's a matter of opinion. And men usually take either side of the argument as will best answer their purposes. But the general presumption being that men who govern will in doubtful cases construe laws and constitutions most favorably for increasing their own powers. And, and that's the, the bottom line. This is all a fancy way of saying what our friend and colleague and partner an ally, Steve Dace, says all the time, we're not governed by the rule of law. We're governed by the rule of political will. And it's not just now where it's totally the law of the jungle, but even back then. Because at the end of the day, there's always going to be new concepts that confuse people, gray areas where powers and rights intersect. And you, you, you could yell all you want and write all the legal opinions you want, but the bottom line is the strongest man is going to win. Now, it doesn't mean you just give up. You do need to have a government. You can't have full anarchy. But there are going to be times where it's going to be the strongest powers win. So if it's, if it's the people, as he notes, the men who govern that are emphatically pushing one thing and the people are asleep, you know exactly where that kind of gray area dispute, dispute is going to head. Again, back to Thomas Paine. It's a perversion of terms to say that a charter gives rights. Madison, it's just parchment paper if you don't fight for it. Paraphrasing there. Okay? So that's where we are. So what do you do if over time they're like, you're violating people's rights if you don't wear a mask? You're like, what, huh? You gotta be kidding me. But that's what they do. They turn it around. So what are you gonna do? 
And that's where we get back to the long train of usurpations. That is the duty, it's the right and the duty to throw it off. Now, they understood that it, it can't be light and transient causes. It's got to be a systemic, consequential breach that all other forms of redress are over with. Okay? All other forms of redress. And I think you would agree with me. We are literally at that point. We are literally at that point. This wasn't some throwaway line. Like, yeah, that's a cute thing. Everyone, everyone will agree to life, liberty, and property. But that last line, they like to gloss over. Oh, you know, that sounds too violent. I don't want to talk about that. Let me read to you from Article 6 of, of my state's constitution. Article 6 of the Maryland Declaration of Rights, which might be the best one. Massachusetts has a good one. Several of them say this, but I'm going to read to you from Maryland. Whenever the ends of government are perverted and public liberty manifestly endangered and all other means of redress are ineffectual, the people may and of right ought to reform the old or establish a new government. The doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. Folks, you know what they were talking about. I mean, in the old days, even the beginning of a republic, when you had problems on the states, they would march people out by force of gun. Now that, now that was back when, you know, they had guns, we had guns, and, and guns was, was actually the palladium of all liberty because it was a deterrent when the people were armed. It was also culturally when that was more of a kind of what they did. So I just want to make it clear, from a moral standpoint, we are light years beyond that trigger. When we have the right to abolish this government, and these people should be swinging from trees. And it's not even close. Our founders were never in this predicament. Okay, when, when John Adams wrote to his friend Daniel Leopold, a lawyer, he was like, guy, like he, he, Leopold wrote a very good letter to him. Like, what are you guys doing? It's stupid. Over a couple of cheap taxes, you're going to mess with the largest naval power in the world? You're never going to win. And they never really did win. It was God's providence of a whole series of events that, that the British kind of gave up. They weren't defeated. So one part of their army surrendered at Yorktown. I mean, they were crushed in the South. In South Carolina, the South was a disaster the entire war. Okay? You were never going to beat the British at the time. And they never really technically militarily defeated them. God placed in their hearts, through the bravery of those who did fight, that, hey, it's, you know, we, we've, we've kind of become so, you know, divorced from each other over the last hundred years, let's let it go. And partly, that's, that's to King George's credit. As a king, he was less of a megalomaniac than the supposedly democratically elected leaders we have today. At some point, you're like, okay, it wasn't worth it. These guys today, they will fight to the gates of hell with every last breath in their soul 
to control you. They'll never give up. But anyway, Adams told him, nip the shoots of arbitrary power in the bud is the only maxim which can ever preserve the liberties of any people. That's what it was. So they weren't even in the position we're in. If you read Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, go go ahead in honor of July 4th and read it. What he was coming to answer again was the fact that, you know, the, the, the complaint was, number one, things aren't so bad, and number two is, how are you going to defeat the British? It was a very good argument. But his point was, it's going to get worse and worse, and you got to fight back while you still can. When you wait until they have you in shackles and have your mouth duct taped and have your body injected and closing your businesses and churches, with which King George never thought of, then you can no longer fight back. And that's kind of where we are today. So Daniel, like, shouldn't we have a revolution? Well, yeah, of course. We should have a long time ago. It's certainly after COVID fascism and everything they're doing violated every clause of the Constitution, of the Declaration. But now we're at the point where we can no longer do that. That option is off the table, not because we're more enlightened and we don't do things like that. It's because, frankly, we can't succeed at it. That's the only reason. But on the other hand, so it's harder because you know they you know they, they did self-govern and the British were across the world. They had to come over with an army. Here it's from within. There's no way you could rebel. But on the other hand, it's also much easier. Thank God we are not called upon to pledge our our sacred honor, our fortune, our lives to take up arms as they called for at the end of the declaration. We don't even need to do that. If you merely had other people do what we're trying to do here, buck the system, and that includes the conservative establishment, Fox News, the Republican Party, speak truth to power on the issues. The polling data shows people are with us much more than they were with the patriots at the time. They want this change. Moreover, because of Madison's design, We're not on our own. We have a political structure in place to govern the doctrine of least magistrates, 3,000 counties, 50 states. And we have numerous counties and states where 80% of the, or 60 to 80% of people agree with us. And, And almost nobody agrees with the extent of what the governing class is doing in those parts of the country really almost any part of the country, but certainly in those areas. If merely we took the freedoms that we have, we don't have a parliament. We don't have King George. We have the choice to elect, but not just elect, but to pressure and make it unacceptable for county officials and state legislatures and governors and corporations and NGOs to screw with us. If we wanted to get drag queen time stopped, it's in our power to get that stopped in many, many parts of the country. We don't need the whole country. It's lost anyway, but it's fine. We need an asylum left to mankind for civil and religious liberty. I'll take one state, but we could probably achieve it in 15 to 25 easily. National divorce. That is the manifestation, the fulfillment of a long train of usurpations. 
And what it means is you cannot get caught up in the axle of when they violate 10 clauses of the Constitution. Well, then we we're bound. Like, for example, Daniel, could a, could a state fight back against could a state deport illegals? Could a state make its own energy policy? Isn't that interstate commerce? You, you can't get wrapped around that when they violated it and are, are killing us and our, our lives are, are literally. I mean, we're going to be at the point where you can't drive, where you can't get food. Where I am, it's already starting. Suddenly, we're seeing these blackouts, and it's not even like 100-degree days where once in a while you see it. It's like 89-degree days. We need to, We need to create our energy infrastructure. And that, that's not even one of the main issues I talk about. You can't get wrapped up. We need national divorce. Make red states red again. I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face. Stop focusing on the federal nonsense. It's so easy. Why are people such damn cowards? You know, I was feeling... um. I, I I I was feeling down yesterday. I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I was engaging in self pity yesterday. I was feeling bad for myself, and I was like, you know, everything I did on Twitter for 11 years is lost. Every last thing I can, can't retrieve a single thing I've ever written. Um, all my followers, or most of them, are 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 lost. Um. I don't exactly get a lot of help in what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm by myself. I spend all the time coming up with content and information and strategies and then also just actually getting on the playing field and trying to implement them and fight for them myself with legislators I know and people you know that, that have some sort of you know ability to to make a difference. So I, I don't have an I, I never had any reservoir of time or energy to engage in self-promotion, to promote my own brand. Not that I even want or need that as an end to itself, but just as a way of getting the word out. And that was kind of how I flew under the radar on Twitter and didn't get banned ages ago because I wasn't big enough. So I was either shouting into the abyss while everyone else would be focused on stupidity or... Or, once I finally broke through a little bit, then they banned me, because I was a threat. And all the other favorite names you hear from, even the ones that might appear to be, once in a while they'll kind of say something good, but they won't relentlessly follow up and focus on it, and then suggest exactly what needs to be done, call for it, and shame the specific people and pressure them to do it. That's what we need to do. You don't have that. And even the better ones, they don't do that. But here I am, you know, so because I don't get a lot of help and promotion and anything, Twitter was really my only source I had. Facebook banned a long time ago, and I never really liked it or did it. I don't have any other, you know, real social media that that had meaningful following that, you know, had influence you know, as my Twitter account really, you know, carried a, a lot of weight with it, a lot of influence. I'm not going to lie, it hurt. Um, you know, the last couple of months, you've noticed uh, the advertisements have been down, you know, dwindling. You know, it's probably temporary, but uh, 
It is what it is. And uh, I'm human. I was engaging in some self-pity for myself. All these idiots that are always wrong, that are always, every time that we need the people to jump in that, that breach, they're actually cheering on the bastards. But, of course, they are considered the leaders of the conservative movement. They're earning a ton of money, and they'll never get kicked off, and they can do whatever they want. I was engaging in, in that degree of just, I was just very down over that. And then, a couple hours later, we get the, the terrible news that Dr. Zelenko passed away, 48 years old, terminal cancer, eight kids. He leaves behind eight kids. And if you've ever heard some of his videos, some of his um, messages, and I, I, you, you realize that he, un- he was at peace with where things were in the world. And you listen to him, and, and, and after listening to him, I'm thinking, how could I be jealous of these other people? And why? He once said, my cancer is what prepared me for the COVID-19 pandemic, without it, I would not have developed my passion for searching for answers that others said couldn't be found. And without it, I could not have held to the persecution and ridicule I received for daring to treat patients. I have looked death in the eye, and I have been made ready to meet God. I fear nothing on this earth. And I, I never even realized how bad it was. I literally had him a couple months ago. I had him on the calendar for a few days later to come on the show. And it was right then that things took a turn for the worse. So it wasn't meant to be. Um, I spoke to him on the phone a few times. What a godly man. He was, he was just the consummate patriot, scarce patriot, the ideal Jew, lived, lived a life as a biblical Jew, um, truly, truly had faith in God. And, you know, going back to myself before I talk about Zelenko, for myself, you know, I, I could have easily been a smart, serious, studious conservative that would have been respected. And I was headed on that path for a while. You know, I worked at the Heritage Foundation. And, um, you know, even as late as 2013, Mitch McConnell's office reached out to me. Hey, we like your stuff. Let's work together. I could have used my ideas um, to just not say some of the more edgy things and get into what actually matters and the way it matters, the time it matters, and name the names. And I could have done better for myself. But what's the point? So you have some great ideas and they do nothing with it. This life is too short to worry about, oh, I'm scared of what people will think of me. Again, in the Revolutionary War, they knew they would be hung. They were signing their death warrant with that. Now, if we don't stop this, we'll be headed to that very quickly. But as of now, you could still fight back politically for the most part. It's not too late, and God has given us an unbelievable opportunity with the left being so open and brazen and, and just, you know, until now the problem was the economy was great. Our values were in the toilet. Our liberties were destroyed. The economy, you know, the, the racket of the Federal Reserve kept going on and on. So people, you know, people didn't feel the pain, but now people do. And that's really a blessing in disguise. 
We now see from the Florida governor that we're not crazy. It's not like, yeah, it will never fly with the general populace. People are too brainwashed. There are a lot of people brainwashed. It doesn't have to be this way. And if you only had other people in the medical profession and in politics being like Zelenko, that was his point. Life is too short. The main life is after Judgment Day. His mission evidently was completed after 48 years. That's all God wanted from him. And you look how sad it is. A guy who saved so many lives, who got so many millions of people to bulk up their vital levels of of vitamins, of D and C and zinc, to boost their immune system. And originally, it wasn't taboo to treat patients. If you remember that first month, it was more, the dividing line wasn't whether you're going to treat it and how you're going to deal with it. It was more whether you take COVID seriously or not. So he was like talking about people dying and the need to treat. So, you know, that first month, he was doing interviews with NBC and everything. He could have stayed that course. And instead, he not only fought back after they were dumping on, on the treatments, but he actually named names and talked about the fact that this is an evil globalist transhuman plot to kill us that they created COVID, they created other pathogens, and they're going to continue this. Even on his deathbed, you know, there, there's a video of him. I'm going to play the audio from him in a hospital. His his fine. If you look on Getter, because he was kicked off Twitter, you know, early on, his message, his final message, what he cared about. He knew this was his mission in life. He's like, look, Marburg's. Um, Ebola, RSV, other types of flus. Um, the, the This is where they're at. This is what they're coming out with. You got to, he actually started even writing about how to treat smallpox. He said, I'm telling you this is what they're doing. Boost your immune system. That was his, that was his public service. I was in awe of him. How the guy had every, what the cancer did in all the surgeries over all the years, he had every problem in every organ you could imagine. And he was going out there with Peter McCullough and all the other guys, like doing hour-long interviews and up until the very end because he knew he had a mission from God. Take a listen to his, uh, his final message for, for the public. It's pretty obvious what's going to happen right now. The World Health Organization, which is essentially funded by the sociopath Gates, is gaining uh, more and more power over sovereign nations. Gates messaged, messaged, I think five or six months ago, that smallpox is a big threat, and then uh, supposedly was eradicated in 1980, and it was only found in two labs in uh, America and in Russia, in DSL level four labs, um, the highest maximum security labs. And yet five days after the sociopath criminal Gates uh, said his prophetic words, a few vials of smallpox were found in an unsecure refrigerator in a uh, Merck laboratory in Philadelphia. And so it, it's not surprising to me now that we're seeing monkeypox. Uh, I anticipate uh, um, global panic about it. This will be the next media horror narrative that uh, will continue the fear campaign to and lockdown campaign and mass campaign to uh, create anxiety, isolate you from people you love, and dehumanize you with 
with uh, these uh, face diapers. And so this is their playbook and they're gonna keep on uh, sending wave after wave of their evil agenda until we make internal resolutions to kick the evil out from within us. We should, in my opinion, uh, denounce the worship of false gods, the god of technology, the god of science, the god of uh, corrupt governments, money, power, fame, and reconcile our hearts with our creator who's making us anew every instant in time. Isn't that something? Look at how selfless that is. And here I am worried about stupid, you know, getting kicked off of Twitter and not having any support in any platform really in video platform or, you know, people working on getting me advertisers and things like that. No one cares about me. And here's a guy that eight kids at the age 44, 45 gets terminal cancer, terrible bout for those years, is treated like literally garbage, garbage. Um, he's literally treated like Hitler for what he is. And he dies at 48, whereas Fauci's 80 and still kicking and able to do his stuff and all these other Nazi-like Third Reich doctors Human experimentation doctors, Joseph Mengele's, they get the honor, the money, the control. They get to control you and make decisions for you. And they get to get all over the news. And they're living. But thus is life. God has a different plan. They're gonna have their they're gonna have their due. They're gonna have their due. And Zelenko was at peace with that. He understood that. All you can do is as a person, speak the truth. Even if it's unpopular and makes you look like a kook. But that's all you can do. Voltaire said, it is dangerous to be right in matters where established men are wrong. But again, is it that dangerous? I listen to people, and they're like, they give these war analogies. Oh, man, we're taking on fire. Well, I'm going to get hung for this. Really? I mean, look, we're, we're reaching that point, but no, you're not. You're scared about your job. And, and, and among the people I'm talking about, moreover, you're scared about scorn from a bunch of psychopaths. That's really what it is. Marjorie Taylor Greene is in a solid red district. There's another 150 or so House members that are in districts like that. Okay, we had Marjorie on the show yesterday. They threw everything at her. She's a Nazi. She's this. She won by like a 60-point margin. Okay, there's no reason other people can't do that. There's no reason other commentators, other people with bigger audiences than me, can't focus on what I focus on. But they won't. They're pathetic because they make this world permanent and the next world temporary. They think this is where it's at. So look, to earn an extra few hundred thousand or million dollars, to get some honor, to get more publicity, it wasn't worth tamping down my message. 
That's what I learned from Zelenko. And that's where we are, folks. You have the responsibility to say no, do not comply, organize at a local level, and get people like-minded. Now is the time. You will, I mean, we, we could be, imagine suffering through everything we're suffering, and the polls show 80% of people like the Biden administration. That's what Ezra Levant told me in Canada. It's kind of like that. Because of Jefferson's blessing, it did still to this day endow this generation with that great gift. That's still, it might be weak, but it's still there more than any other country. You look at, uh, what's his name? Charles Carroll. He was the last surviving, the youngest um, signer of the Declaration. Well, I don't know if he was the youngest, but he was the longest surviving one. He was actually the only Catholic signer. The county next, o- next one over to me in Maryland, uh, Carroll County, still a very good red county, uh, named after him. He was one of the 56 signers of the Declaration. 1826 was the 50th anniversary, one of the most divine moments in American history. Both Jefferson and Adams, who were friends, then enemies, then united at the end of their lives, died on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of 1776. Jefferson lives. It was the final, final words of John Adams. He didn't know that Jefferson had passed away a couple uh, couple hours prior to him. And, um, you know, Jefferson obviously didn't live. He died. But what he meant was that principle lived on. So they wanted him to uh, sign a document, you know, a declaration, give a, give a message. What's your message to this new generation that didn't know these people? You're the, the remaining survivor, right? You're the remain, remaining survivor from the signatories of that document. He was in his 80s. He lived like maybe another eight years or so. He lived till, till 95. And his message, that this was the end of his message, I do hereby recommend to the present and future generation the principles of that important document as the best earthly inheritance their ancestors could bequeath to them and pray that the civil and religious liberties that they have secured to my country may be perpetuated to the remotest posterity and extended to the whole family of man. And that's what we have with us. We still have that. And we could fight for it. And we don't need to take up arms. Not yet. We, it's still, there's a, there's a window. It's closing. It's closing. But it's still there. It's so easy. And you see sometimes how, how easy it is when you actually get people focused. Because the left is, they, they made a mistake. But only, it's only a mistake if we utilize it. They don't think it's a mistake because they think our movement won't arise and they'll deal with these thumb-sucking, controlled opposition Republicans that are too, too worried about getting kicked off of Twitter and being canceled. But if we actually use the power we have, the public's on our side more than ever. And you go to certain parts of the country, Biden's approval is down to 15%. Dude, come on. 
You could do so much with that. There's so much we're leaving on the table. It doesn't have to be this way. It's all because a bunch of selfish, pathetic people who call themselves conservative. And they know who they are. Selfish. They care about their stupid career, their next appearance on Fox, their next book sales, their next tweet. They don't look to build for the posterior, posterity, as the founders did. We need more selflessness. And that's, uh, you know, that is the legacy of Dr. Zelenko dying right before July 4th. Truly understood it. And again, decentralization of power, chaos, doctrine of least magistrate. That's what that sixth principle looks like nowadays, how to rebel. That's what it looks like. Jefferson said in 1816, this is already long into the republic. It is by dividing and subdividing these republics from the great national one down through all its subordinates until its ends in the administration of every man's farm and affairs by himself, by placing under everyone what his own eye may superintend, that all will be done for the best. What has destroyed liberty and the rights of men in every government which has ever existed under the sun? The general, uh, generalizing and concentrating all cares and powers into one body. That's the key, decentralization. That's what we need to do. It's in our power if we just stayed focused. We can't go on with this, just another midterm election and who's running for president, which is meaningless. The federal government is irrevocably an enemy of the people. Rather than focusing on who's going to lead that, which will never result in a redress of our grievances, how do you do what DeSantis is doing in states that are even more conservative and do it 10 times better because the more you have doing it, the more you don't feel like you're out on a limb. He's out on a limb now. The question shouldn't be, should Ron DeSantis run for president? It should be, how do you get someone like that in every county and state position where supposedly a supermajority of the people agree with that? I place the blame squarely on the phony conservative movement. You know, in many respects, we're better off than we've ever been precisely because the conservative movement has been so subversive until now. In other words, what do I mean? It's the classic rope-a-dope. Let's say you have an army. One army versus another, and it's a 50-50 fight. You have a, a line that divides you. And one day, the army just disappears and recedes into the woods. And the other army thinks, oh my gosh, they're over with. And they advance and advance and advance. And they advance deep into enemy territory that naturally they should not be able to take and certainly they would not be able to hold. Imagine if at that moment the army then came out of the woods. They'd actually be worse off because of the rope-a-dope. Now obviously conservatives and Republicans didn't do this as a rope-a-dope. They did it because they're a bunch of subversive, selfish SOBs. But they might have done us a favor if we only utilize that opportunity now. Because now I believe we could implement things that we never thought we could have. 
State deportations, it would be so easy to do things like that. Banning transgenderism, banning all the things we want to do on medical freedom and corporations. There are so many things that we could do. Everything we were proposing until now is small ball because of what the left has done. And they've succeeded because they had literally no opposition. And the opposition that was there surreptitiously helped them in many ways. So this is the message of the time we live in. Focus on those principles of the Declaration. Don't accept this. This is not right. If it doesn't look right, Daniel, is this legal? Could they do this? No, they can't. It's illogical, immoral, illegal, and inhumane, and it's got to stop. And we can't get caught up with distractions, with phony obstacles. You have to start steering that ship to an outcome and row it exactly to there without distractions, without deviations, without selfishness and taking selfies of yourself on the way that it becomes about you. And if you did that, God is just waiting for us. He keeps giving us opportunities. As as much as I'm the prophet of woe and lamentation, I'm also an eternal optimist, as Jeremiah himself was. Because he knew if you repented and returned to God, like you saw in the cycle of the book of Judges, you will be well off. You'll be fine. Right? That is the ultimate optimism. But as long as you are focused on sacred cows, the wrong politics, the wrong policies, the wrong focus, the wrong people, the distractions, and even often going along with it, like so many you know, severe conservatives did with Ukraine and even COVID, we're going to continue suffering. If we had, if you went down the Rolodex, however you want to measure it, the 100 most influential conservative voices. Some might be elected, some, a lot of them not. And they would get together in a constitutional convention-style meeting and pray for guidance. And I'll begin with the recognition that we are worse off than we've ever been. Dobbs has done nothing for us in the scheme of what matters. The gun opinion ditto for that. And we are inexorably headed towards a trajectory that I shudder to think in three or so years where we will be headed. I shudder to think. Four years from today or this weekend, we will celebrate the 250th anniversary of the Declaration. I shudder to think where we will be in four years from now if we don't change course. And they could do that. And recognize that what we're doing is not working and work together. If they would take all of my ideas and then some more, there is no limit to the blessings that I believe God can and would bestow upon us. That's all we can do is fight for what's right. Outcomes are for God, but usually you're not going to get those outcomes if you don't demonstrate that you are worthy and even desiring of those outcomes. So that is where we are, folks. 
But just know, as bleak as it looks, that this world is temporary. I don't know if we're going to succeed. You know, maybe this is what needs to happen in order to bring about the end of times, which we all believe is coming. But here's what I do know. People like Zelenko are sitting with the angels, the highest level of spiritual reward. And these guys who think, oh, they're so amazing, their day is coming. Like it says in Zephaniah, or in biblical Hebrew, Zephaniah, you know, because there's no TZ sound in the English language. Chapter 1, verse... uh, 14, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly. The sound of the day of the Lord, wherein the mighty man cries bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of troubles and distress, a day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of shofar and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men. And they shall walk like the blind, for they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be shed like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And with the fire of his passion, the entire land shall be consumed for an end. Ye, a sudden end, he shall make of all the inhabitants of the land. If people would only understand how temporary this world is, that there is a day of judgment, that thumb-sucking and and your latest gratification on cable and Twitter ain't worth it, we'd be a better place. Our founders understood that. The question is, do we? So folks, with that inspiration, hope you enjoy time with your family, church, service to God over the weekend. Let's come back rejuvenated, come back with more ideas. I'm just one person. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. You guys are the smartest audience around. Send me your ideas. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. For now on Twitter, there's Dan Horowitz fan on Twitter. I'm mainly posting at Daniel underscore Horowitz on Getter. You could also follow my Telegram channel, COVID Truth Bombs. I'm still kind of seeing how to work this through. And, you know, also Google ZStack. Get yourself some Z-Stack from Dr. Zelenko and his legacy. That's what he wanted to save people's health. There's also 30% off through July 4th with 7cells.com with promo code Daniel to get any mix of ivermectin, azoxanide, hydroxy, um, methylprednisolone, azithromycin, high-dose vitamin D. These are a couple different different packages they have there. See what works for you. Who knows what's going to come down the pipeline we got to save our lives. God gave us life. It's up to us to protect our life, just like our liberty. Till next week, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.